What are cryptocurrencies? Hey, hey, hey. What are NFTs? A non-fungible token. Time to buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin just seems like a scam. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, Bitcoin? Hello everyone, welcome back to On The Ledger. It's been a while, but I'm back once again on your weekly rendezvous from Paris after a short and much needed winter break. I hope you all enjoyed your holidays and are ready for an amazing year ahead. 2021 will probably be remembered as the year crypto went beyond crypto to become a vibrant and thriving cultural and financial ecosystem with real-world utility for creators and communities. We were lucky enough to explore this inspiring Web3 shift on here by your side, and this year we'll be doing more of that on the ledger to take you with us on a journey to discover innovative projects, inspiring artists and creators, as well as exclusive ledger integrations. I honestly couldn't be more excited or thrilled about 2022. I also couldn't be more thrilled about today's guest. To kick off the year on the ledger, we're glad to have a pretty unique and fascinating artist. One that caught my attention right away due to his original approach to NFTs when he started releasing on Hickenunk in 2021. Our guest today has a thing for literature and storytelling. He's an actor, a writer, a poet, and a producer who's been pushing the boundaries of crypto art with his poems and captivating collaborations with some of the best visual artists of the Tezos ecosystem. Like with the Swan Song, for example. I have looked upon those brilliant creatures, and now my heart is sore. All's changed since I, hearing at twilight, the first time on this shore. Our guest today is, of course, Lawrence Fuller. Lawrence, welcome to On The Ledger and Happy New Year. How are you feeling today? Hi, Happy New Year. Yeah, great to be here today, yeah. And thank you for that wonderful introduction. Pleasure. I've been very much looking forward to that since we first chatted a few months ago. Uh, So let's get to it. On The Ledger Season 2, The Word of Lawrence Fuller. Here we go. So, you know, let's start from the beginning. I, I love storytelling, so... You graduated from theater school, then kicked off your acting and writing career. Uh, and last year, you started experimenting with NFTs. Uh, tell us the story of your light bulb moment, because, you know, we all have one when we realize that, you know, wow, NFTs are actually a thing that we can, you know, explore. Uh, the aha moment with NFTs. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess it had been most a year of lockdown and a year of like the theater's all being shut down, a lot of filming being shut down, um, you know, hardly much film or television production and a sort of real hankering and need for performance and, uh, yeah, I suppose live performance, any kind of performance, um, especially in my life. You know, we watched a lot of films um, in that year. I'd written a novella, I'd written a screenplay, I'd written a lot of poetry, but, you know, I'm... I've been an actor all my life and a trained one and dedicated my life to it. So I guess I'd heard about NFTs through Clubhouse. Yeah, interesting. Again, we all spent a lot of time on Clubhouse during lockdown. Yeah, and I'd been in crypto since about 2017. Okay. And, and when I heard someone talking about NFTs, I basically just needed about two sentences before I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is... <laughs> This is fantastic. And I need to like just go into this head first. And I, I'd actually had like a, a bunch of spoken word poetry art collaborations that I, 
had already been doing for a couple years before that and just immediately minted my first piece which was a collaboration with Sima Joe um, an artist who's a friend of mine and just a terrific painter Childish force of nature, my swelling body swims with salt drops dropping in pools of unexpected pleasure, crashing water weeds washing over the spirits with me. Together we crossed over the top layer before we get sucked under the other underneath pulled out to sea. I'd written this poem inspired by her paintings when I went to visit her studio and conversations with her years before. So I think I already had that. I think I re-recorded the performance and then did a bit more with the visuals. I started exploring like how to animate a painting with those first pieces and then um, just minted right away on OpenSea. And I was the first um, spoken word poetry NFT. So like, what were the, those two sentences? Because I'm super, super curious. Must have been pretty impactful. <laughs> If you remember, of course. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it, you know, I think it was just someone explaining in a really basic room of just like NFT. It's like a token you create on the blockchain of your art. Just... I think it was just that. I think anyone who's outside of crypto and outside of the arts, it does take a minute. Uh, a lot of people in the arts, it's still, it takes a minute for them to understand. Uh, but I think if you come from both, then it's just really, that's all you need to understand, I think. I think it helped that you were already in crypto as well. Because for most artists, it's a steep learning curve. You know, you've got to learn about, you know, NFTs, platforms, self-custody, security, and everything related to that. But you already had some sort of a, you know, decent amount of knowledge, if I understand this correctly. Yeah, I, like I'd understood it. You know, I wasn't using crypto for anything other than having it on an exchange and trying trading terribly. It turns out I'm a ter <laughs> terrible trader, as most people are. Yeah. I assume. And that was about it. Like I was really interested in what these projects were doing. Projects like ICX and the Interoperability Alliance really caught my imagination for how they could integrate into daily life. And it felt like a secret world that I was a part of for a couple of years. Um, and actually one that I wasn't really able to speak about much because before NFTs, it was mostly just about finance. And nothing else in my life was really about finance except what I was doing with it personally. So it, it, it didn't really make sense to talk about it much. But then when it became about art, I was like, okay, I can talk about this all the time. That's why we're here. Let's talk about your art. So, you know, your art is quite captivating. You know, your work is at the intersection of literature, music, and of course, visual arts. Um, could you tell us more about your creative vision and how you see it coming to life through the NFT medium? Um, as one other medium that you're adding to the different mediums that you were previously exploring? You know, poetry, the last three or four years of my life really became a big factor. I would spend sometimes days writing poems at cafes. Um, and sometimes that, that had been the best thing that I'd done all week. I, I had kind of had a routine going where I would go to Muay Thai kickboxing first thing in the morning, and then I would go to a cafe and I would write like poetry until I had to bartend that evening uh, or an audition or, or filming something as well. But in between, what I was doing was like writing a lot of poetry in cafes. I wrote about two books of poetry in a year. It was kind of like a mad creative flurry. And I think it was also like it, kind of a cataclysm of like a lot of creative things that were going on within me. Like um, I was studying a lot of my late father's writings for the screenplay that I was writing about him. And that really, his writings really impacted me and his whole world. Because my 
late father was an art critic and a very opinionated and uh, challenging character in, in the story of 20th century art, particularly in England. He was a great debater and polemicist. So he really, when you read his writings, are very like, uh, very sort of emotionally fueled and extremely engaging. And so I, I'd spent like a lot of time reading his work. And I also found from his friends that what he really wanted to do was be a poet. I also found it a manuscript of unpublished poetry that he had. And I, I found poems in his uh, like early magazine that he created and, and poems that he'd write in his letters. I was very inspired by those as well. And to find that he was inspired like a lot by writers like Baudelaire. And, and Baudelaire was a, a poet who, I mean, wrote a lot autobiographically, but also about paintings. Like paintings feature throughout Flowers of Evil in every other poem. He's got like two poems that are dedicated to like talking about Delacroix and Goya. And so uh, I, I suppose all that just kind of inspired me to start writing poetry from it, like using a painting as the muse and then combining that autobiographically with my own experience and sort of having it become like the poem is like about the experience of art, like one's own subjective experience of art and within that telling the story of one's own emotional life, telling a story um, and using the painting as the visual symbology as well, I just found really enhanced it and, and could be just a powerful storytelling tool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's absolutely fascinating, I think, when you combine the, the poetry, the music and the visual aspect. Um, it, it's kind of mesmerizing, to be honest. And, you know, maybe we can go back like um, uh, a few steps to your first drop. I think it was back in March 2021 on, on Ethereum and OpenSea, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But then you quickly moved to uh, Tezos um, and Hickening. Why is that? And uh, what do you think, you know, what was like your learning curve like? I, w I was on Clubhouse at the time like making a lot of my connections in NFT on Clubhouse. Although I think I was finding most of my collectors from Twitter, but I was, you know, talking to that whole crew from who are really prominent NFT artists from OpenSea now. And it was during the time when Ethereum just went from 1,000 to 4,000 and the the gas fees went up tremendously. And there was, there was a real slump to be honest, in Ethereum art, except for maybe the Super Rare pieces. Um, and I hadn't applied to Super Rare at that time, and I, I still haven't yet. And then I kept hearing about Hickenunk in clubhouse rooms. Like people, you know, the word Hickenunk everywhere. Like, And then one of my friends asked me, are you going to drop a piece on Hickenunk? I'm like, what is yeah, what is everyone talking about? And then they, you know, they come into rooms with like their op these numbers on their profile, and it was their object numbers. And so I went into one of the rooms, and it was just like a flurry of activity. People were talking about art, and they were sharing it, and people were like collecting in the room really fast and a lot. You know, it didn't really happen that much in Ethereum. It was like you know, you'd, you'd make a sale once in a while, but but in on Hickenlook, everyone was just collecting and. And selling their work all the time, it, uh, the energy about it was it was just really infused. The culture is different, I feel, because Ethereum is so big. When you think about it, you know there are so many things happening on Ethereum, whereas 
when you think about it, Tezos is like this, like you were saying, you know, like this niche of artists that was flourishing at the time and that now is, is growing, which is fascinating. NFTs have brought artists and collector, different collectors closer together than they have ever been. Creators are now able to finance their own projects thanks to this narrow uh, relationship with the, with the collectors, uh, without having to rely on studios or third parties or agencies uh, for financing or distribution. So if you think of it, you know, one of the first thing you told me when we chatted back, uh, um, you know, on Twitter is that you were a big fan of Lost Poets. Um, and Lost Poets is a gigantic project that I suppose needs a decent amount of uh, capital in order to be able to finance it. But I, the question, one of the questions I was asking myself is, if NFTs didn't exist, would PAC have been able to launch a project at such scale without the support of a third party that would have the, the constant ability to say, oh, you do this, or no, that's not creative enough, or we're not sure if that's going to speak to people or not. So the, the basic question was, are NFTs liberating creativity? Do you think the way you're exploring your creativity is different because you're emancipated from uh, the third parties. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, an actor, especially because so much of a life as an actor is waiting for someone else to hire you to be able to do the job. And then you're dependent on what sort of job you get. Like they give you the script and that's a script. And um, quite often, like you don't have much say in, in what roles you end up getting and taking on. Um, and you kind of just have to accept that. And that's just the actor's life. But then um, it's interesting to see like who who was really fired up creatively in between those jobs, you know, and who was really like passionate artist as well as as being someone who was hired hired for a job. I think that's a differentiation really between like an artist and and someone who's doing the job and you need people to do the job. Since we're speaking, you know, about, you know, this community and cultural aspects. Uh, I think that, you know, this narrow relationship between creators and their audiences, um, it's becoming clear that the success of any project or artist is partly due to the artistic project itself, but predominantly in the NFT space, it's starting to feel like the culture and community that are surrounding that project are becoming a very important factor as well. Um, w what's your take on that and on, you know, your relationship with your collectors and community building? I mean, my gosh, I've made so many new friends. I, I don't think I've had uh, this many people as sort of close to me that I talk to every day in, in my life. It's really interesting. And, and sometimes I just sort of like uh, just falling into it. And like after a drop, if I'm really tired, I'll just be like chatting to people all day before I like pick up the next poem. It's really fun. And, you know, it's kind of, it can be a bit of a soap opera as well. Like there's, there's always something going on and different relationships and particularly with like Twitter spaces as well. Like there's always a Twitter space now. If you ever feel like you want to chat to someone, like you just switch it on. And like there's about five different rooms, people talking about NFTs and art. And you really have your choice of like, you know, who you want to engage with about what. It's kind of interesting to see as well, because I love participating in theater and film because of that community, that family aspect of it. Like you just feel a part of you just feel a part of a family and like you've created something really special together. And it's really sad when that finishes. Everyone feels like, like, like there's this loss, you know, of like, you lost, you lost a family. But now, like with NFTs, you kind of always will, will have that. Um, 
yeah they're always there like my group threads on twitter are always firing off like on tezos the artists are really close and and i suppose that's because we also collect each other's work and we also collaborate so much so yeah it's been fantastic like connecting with these really talented people um in this way that's like very just deep and real and yeah the the relationships have been formed like i hope to keep my whole life yeah that's that's amazing and one of the interesting things you said there uh, was, you know, related to um, the fact that it was kind of always on. But there is another interesting aspect there is that art is now one click away. Like whatever you and I collect, anyone else can see. And it doesn't belong like in a, in a you know, to a bunker in Switzerland or like a closed museum. I think that and most of the artists are participating in that by collecting each other's work and sharing each other's work. And what I feel is that, you know, what started off as a revolution of finance and money is kind of starting to become a cultural renaissance. Do you share that feeling? The renaissance was fueled by all the merchants coming in and um, also funding by the church. And um, the renaissance was fueled by uh, a, a new sort of a new way of uh, exchanging value and, and ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And also like a new financial, I don't want to say class, but it was like groups and ways of doing things, you know, like the Medicis. And um, obviously they were very responsible for funding like a huge amount of the art that was going on. And interestingly, the church, like so much of the art from that time had um, religious symbology. So I suppose like you, you kind of see that in, in some crypto art, like the use of branding of Ethereum or, or Tezos, you know, a specific kind of symbology. But I don't know if that was always the interesting thing about Renaissance art was the symbology. I think like the artists that really survived from that period, I mean, they did paint about religious symbology, but it was also how distinct their own voices were. You know, people like Caravaggio, who even painted himself within a lot of his paintings and just created such a distinct voice for himself that you can tell a Caravaggio from from anybody else in a museum so glaringly so if you come upon it it's like wow what is that you know the romantic movement which spurred on at that time was kind of a, a reaction to that in saying that you know we're animals we're we're people and we need the world around us and also kind of accepting yeah, you know these these changes that were coming, like uh, in in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. A big part of that was, you know, what how will science change like the human being? And uh, I think we're sort of experiencing a bit of that as well, where this is such a, a technological revolution that is really going to change how we do things. Um, I think we're also experiencing some of that, like uh, leaving how how we're going to. We're at the intersection of the old and the new, you know. How do we relate to the old world? And yeah, yeah, and I think your 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 work is kind of a depiction of that because you know you're using a very innovative medium and a very technologically advanced medium, but to tell things that are culturally um, very you know anchored in the history of our arts. And, you know, speaking of that, you've had amazing collaborations in the past and you've kicked off the year with an impressive one with the artist Ruben Fro. So congratulations first. Uh, but what else are you planning for, for 2022? Any sneak peeks? Uh, thank you. Yeah, the piece with Ruben was a long time coming. Super proud of it. It feels like I had to take a couple break, days break afterwards because it was really like... Yeah, once it was locked in, like me and Ruben were going to be doing the dissolving painting number eight, 
I mean, it was it was a week of us just kind of 24-7, not much sleep, just trying to get this as good as we possibly can. A ship far off across the bridged abyss of night, they post their hope to that mast, which rips through the vast colours of the dawn. And then the drop, you know, we wanted to do that. We had our own Twitter space and, you know, we I wanted to give this series like the the space it deserved as well. Because the Dissolving Painting series has been a really important one in Tezos culture. And yeah, really, really a, a prominent series and an important series in, in, in what's gone down. And not everybody knew that. So I wanted to sort of show each piece. And we had Ruben's Dissolving Paintings up, like one side by side in the space. It was, it was great. So what am I working on next? The interesting question. <laughs> I guess I can talk about a project that I'm working on, which is maybe has some, you mentioned Lost Poets for maybe has some, uh, is inspired a little bit by Lost Poets and is with working with just one of the best painters in the world in Heinrich Aldalen. And uh, yeah, I, I connected with Heinrich actually through Tezos World as well, surprisingly, because, you know, this guy's got most a million followers on Instagram. He's just well-respected as just one of the best painters in the world. Yeah, you know, I saw him popping up in the Hickenlung rooms. I was like, holy shit, that's Heinrich Aldalen. Like, <laughs> And so, you know, obviously I, I got chatting to him and was like, and now he's a close friend. We speak uh, every other day. And um, yeah, we're working on this, on a project that I feel could um, could take the idea of, you know, a collection to, to, an, to another level and make it an art project as well as, you know, all those things that go into making like a good collectible project great. So I and I think that's really rare, hard to do and really rare. And we're sort of bashing out like we're bashing out all those details at the moment. And we've been preparing it for a while, probably we've been working on it for like five months so far. Oh, okay. I'll be I'll be very much looking forward to that. So it's time to move on to the last segment of the show. Uh, we like to make it a little bit more playful. So we'll have a round of rapid fire questions. I'll ask you 10 questions in total with an either or question followed by an open question. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. This is rapid fire. So Lawrence, reciting or writing? Reciting. So one on ones or collections? Uh, one of ones. Okay. Your dream collab? <laughs> that's a hard one um that's really hard isn't it I, i'm gonna say ruben heinrich okay interesting innovation or creativity creativity okay your biggest nft regret it was being too enthusiastic at, at the very beginning with an extremely prominent collector who told me to get lost because i was just i was being passionate but i think it came across like i was trying to sell my stuff i guess it was like uh being a noob <laughs> it's all right we've all been there what about your happiest nft moment when uh ruben said that he wanted to work with me on dissolving painting number eight <laughs> no doubt um so the question before our last question scripts or poems poems okay and what's your favorite poem oh my god <laughs> you did that how could you ask that uh i i would say I would say Jerusalem by William Blake. All right. And could you recite a part of it for us? Bring me my bow of burning gold. Bring me my chariots of fire. Beautiful. Lawrence, 
Thanks a lot. Pleasure chatting with you. Uh, and I look forward to your future drops. Thank you so much, Mo. It was a pleasure. That's it. A super inspiring conversation with Lawrence Fuller. If you've enjoyed it, please hit that subscribe button because 2022 will be big for On The Ledger. This was On The Ledger from Paris with your host Moul Sayed. Till next time, take care. Au revoir. This content is provided for informational purposes only and is the sole expression of our opinion and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment or tax advice. Do your own research. Any loss or profit is your sole responsibility. Stay safe.